If you've got a Bible with you, we're working our way through the book of 2 Timothy, and we're into chapter 3. Thank you. I quite often find myself saying this, but one of the brilliant things of working through books of the Bible is you get to cover whatever's there. One of the challenging things is you have to cover whatever is there, and this is one of these passages. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, holy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. It does get better now. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystria? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers, imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know from those whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's just pray again. Yeah, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you even when it's difficult, it can say things that speak right into our hearts. So I just want to pray as we unpack this rather difficult passage that you will encourage us this morning to root ourselves deeply into your word and into your character. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Mike, if we could have the the overhead up, that would be brilliant. One of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had whilst being in a car was coming back from a conference late one night in Glasgow. I was about 20, 21 at the time. And the person who I was driving with said, would you like to drive? And I thought, no, it's all right. It's late at night. It's not my car. I might feel a bit embarrassed if my driving isn't brilliant. Never have I regretted not driving. (laughs) We turned onto a dual carriageway to find ourselves doing this. We were on the wrong side of the dual carriageway heading in the wrong direction. And there were cars coming towards us. It's not a nice position to be in, not a nice feeling. You know, sometimes being on the right road is not actually enough, is it? Sometimes being on the right road, you have to be heading in the right direction. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it carries on the theme that we encountered last week. And if you were here last week, you, you might remember we were looking at all these things that can push us off course as Christians. There are things um, like, like that idle chatter, that godless chatter that we heard about. Things like the false teaching and things that we have to flee from 
um, those temptations. And the big thing that Paul brought into view last week was this, what became known as Gnosticism. It's a Christian teaching that actually subverts the gospel. It denies our resurrection, and it claims that the body is so simple, basically you can do what you want with it, and it doesn't matter. So what Paul does in this chapter is he essentially digs down a bit, and he starts to unpack the consequences of the wrong teaching of chapter 2. And so we start to see the outworking. Now this first reading, certainly the first part, can be quite a depressing chapter. I don't know as I read it whether you thought, oh, this sounds sounds wonderful and uplifting stuff. It's not. It's talking about the problems of false teaching. But we're going to look at it in two halves, this chapter. The first one is all about people who think they are followers of Jesus. They are still calling themselves Christians, but they are heading in the wrong direction. Right road, wrong direction. Thomas Oden, um, a commentator on 2 Timothy, he talks about how the first part of this passage is about disordered love, about how when everything goes wrong in terms of what we're loving, then all these kind of things spill out. Now, we are not immune as followers of Jesus from being part one people, but actually part two is a lot, lot better. I don't know if you found that when I was reading it, about being rooted in God's word, about being the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. So we're going to start out looking at verses 1 to 9 about disordered love. And the chapter starts about the terrible times in the last days. What is Paul on about? What does he mean? Well, in New Testament terms, the last days is everything from the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost until when Jesus returns in glory. If you know the events of Pentecost, Peter takes the prophet Joel where it says, in the last days your sons and daughters will prophesy and so on. And he says, this is now happening now. This is what is coming to being as the Spirit falls. But what the Bible also says is that things will get worse as the end approaches. So we're in the last days, but we're getting later. Does that make sense? So the last days have already started, but they're getting later until Jesus will one day return in glory. So what Paul is essentially saying is don't push all this off into some unknown future and think things will be wonderful now and they'll get worse at some point. But actually things are pretty bad and you need to be on your guard, but they will also get worse. And so what we get is 19 signs of disordered love. 19 signs from Paul that says what happens when you go after wrong teaching and when the heart stops loving God and starts loving other things. And so in verse 2, it says, people will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. Now, there is a healthy way to love ourselves. That great command, and we'll, we'll hear it a bit later on as well, love your neighbor as yourself. God says there that we are to love ourselves, but in the right way. Just hold out your hand for a moment. I think it was C.S. Lewis said if the only thing that he ever saw was a thumb, it would be enough to convince him of the existence of God. But we are wonderfully made. Just move, think, see, hear, whatever it is. Just think how amazingly we are made in the image of God. God has placed immense value in us. God sent his son out of love because he loves us so much. Not because we're valueless and for the scrap heap, but we're made and sustained in love. But loving yourself, well, that's a bit different. Loving yourself in the kind of way that Paul is talking about is actually thinking, well, I'm better than everybody else. I deserve special treatment. 
Everybody else is there to serve me. They might be indispensable as long as I'm all right. And so we get five signs of self-love. These are the first of the 19 signs. And the first one, after we've talked about self-love itself, is lover of money. Now, whether we like it or not, we all need money. It's a fact of, of the way that society is ordered. And in a cost of living crisis, actually, we see the cruelty of poverty, don't we, where people simply don't have enough money. And, you know, that should spur us on to be generous if we have extra. But just like many things in life that are actually a necessity, they can easily become an idol. They can easily take over and start to control us. Um, I remember a conversation with a friend of mine some years ago who said, I know when my heart is getting disordered. I know when my love for God is going cold because I get this sudden urge to buy things that I have no need of. And they said it was one of those signs that actually showed that things weren't quite right inside. And you know, we can do that, can't we? We can try and buy ourselves happiness. We can try and spend money to make ourselves feel better. Retail therapy, we might call it. But whatever it is, it's about money um, can sort of morph into one of those things. And you know the problem is with money. It doesn't matter how much we have, we never have enough to do everything we want to do. Have you noticed that? It doesn't matter whether you've got no money at all and are desperately trying to find money for a meal, or whether you're Elon Musk and trying to put people in space, you've never quite got enough. And it can capture us, and it can hold us, and it can become an idol. Paul moves on. He talks about being boastful and proud. That kind of thinking, again, that that's, we're better than other people, and that we've got it all sorted and other people haven't. And it turns eventually, if we go too far down this road, into abusing others. Into abusing others. Because again, we put ourselves on the pedestal so other people go under it. Paul then moves on. We get five more signs, this time of disordered relationships. And the first thing that Paul talks about is um, children, and it is children in this case, disobe- being disobedient to their parents. And the, the idea behind this is that if authority starts to break down, relationships become disordered. And if a child isn't listening to their parents, they're not following what the law says, and obviously we caveat that. We're saying that's if the parents want the best for their child. We need to put that caveat in. It's a symptom of the disordering of life. And it's many that Paul lists here. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. That last one, unforgiving. You know, if we're unforgiving in our relationships, it means that every problem stays a problem. There is no method of putting it right. If we can't forgive one another, we just live with a growing list of problems. Forgiveness is God's remedy for putting things right. It means we start over again. We then get some more signs. hope you're loving all these. Eight general signs of not loving God. Slanderous, no control, brutal, love wrong things, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure. That last one, um, a poet called Lawrence Ferlinghetti calls um, this the Los Angelization of the world, where we seek feelings and addiction of immediate pleasure. I think actually Las Vegasization might be best, but that's a bit of a mouthful, so I think he's gone for Los Angeles. But it's a self-love, and these are all the symptoms of self-love. Self-love demands constant feeding. It breaks down the goodness that God would have for us. And we can become easily addicted to the wrong things that pull us away from God. So what does this list have to do with us today? What do these 19 signs of disordered love have to do? 
Well, we could go through it and say, well, yeah, I can spot myself in a few of these, and Lord, would you help me to, to get rid of those things in my life? That is perfectly valid. But actually, I think Paul has something greater in mind, a bit of a bigger brushstroke picture. And it's this. The false teachers looked great outwardly. They were doing good things, they were doing impressive things, but actually, it wasn't happening in their heart. It was just all for show. They were being changed for the worse, not for the better. They had a form of godliness, but it was only external, not internal. Do you know, right the way through Scripture, God never ever says to us, what I'm after is your outward observance, I'm not after all your singing, I'm not after your religious festivals, I'm not after this, but what I'm after is I'm after your heart. I'm after what goes on inside. Look at these incredible words from Isaiah. Sorry, that's a bit small, that print. I don't think I can read it from here. I'll have to read it off here. Your new, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. And then here's the challenge. Wash yourself and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the widows. And right through scripture, there is this trajectory that says, actually, when we've been saved by faith through grace through what Jesus has done, there is the call to a transformed heart and a transformed life. Not just external stuff, but stuff that has genuinely happened within. And you know, when we're genuinely transformed, I think as, as Sarah was talking about how the gospel spreads, you know, that is what spreads the gospel, isn't it? It's genuine transformation. When people see in us the Jesus who we are serving. But let's move on quickly. Verses 6 to 9. A very odd set of verses. All about um, these false teachers getting into the homes of, of what they call gullible women. Now, what is all this about? What is going on here? Well, the society in Paul and Timothy's day was a patriarchal society. So men would go out to work. They would normally go out very early in the morning. This was in sort of Roman society. They would then come back about lunchtime and then go to the baths for the afternoon. And that was, that was the, the role of what the man, the man would do. The woman was only allowed out with their husbands. So they would be at home during the day. They couldn't go wandering around. They couldn't go and see people without sort of their husband's permission. But they could welcome the leaders of the church in to see them. So what was happening was these false teachers, these people teaching a false gospel, were wheedling their way into the homes of, of women and trying to lead them astray. And it says, Paul says, that these women are, are laid down with, with many kinds of desires. We don't know what they are. It might be sexual desires. It might be novelty, uh, desires for novelty or so on. But these women, they're always wanting to hear, but they're never making a decision to follow Jesus because they're hearing all the wrong kind of stuff. And then we get two names mentioned, Janes and Jombres. Have you ever heard of them? A couple of nods. Well, apparently, in Jewish tradition... These are the two magicians from the court of Pharaoh who opposed Moses. And Paul's point is this. These magicians, if you know the events of the Exodus, they could mimic some of the plagues of Egypt that God would bring. They only got so far and then they ran out of steam. But actually, what these false teachers can do is they can mimic Christian living. They can mimic healings even, miracles even. But actually, the power of God is not with them. And it says in verse 9, they will not get very far. 
I've probably mentioned this before, but, but when Claire and I go out for a meal, we are very, very different. Um, I get a menu, and I like to think, what on there have I never eaten before? What looks interesting? What can I try, and what wouldn't I be able to cook at home? Claire looks at the menu and goes down and says, what do I think I'll like? So sometimes it works out for my benefit, because I get to try something that is incredible, wonderful, and Claire is sat there with a very drab, bog-standard meal. (laughs) Other times, I'm sat there, and I'm eating this stuff that is absolutely disgusting and revolting, and Claire is there with a smug look on her face, and I'm thinking, why didn't I just order the lasagna? (laughs) But we're all a little bit different, aren't we? We're all a little bit different. But novelty can pull us in. I think this is what was happening with these, these women, actually. Novelty, the novelty of the false teaching was drawing them in. We, too, need to be on guard as Christians against novelty, against sort of charismatic sort of people who would draw us in to listen to them, but then actually don't offer everything that Jesus would bring us. You know, it's not my place to, to call out names or, or to um, judge people's hearts, but it does sadden me time and time again that we see in the press of another Christian leader who has fall, you know, sort of fallen off, another Christian leader who has fallen into some kind of sin or other. And it's just a reminder to me that actually let's, got, let's not get swept up with novelty, but let's root ourselves deep into who Jesus is that our lives are firmly based and rooted in the word of God. You know, other people, absolutely, they can help us. But we need to be so rooted in the word of God. So, we then change tack. Things get a bit better. Reordered love. We change carriageway in verse 10 from the errors of verses 1 to 9. Paul takes us on a very different journey. And the reordered love really has at its heart these incredible verses from Mark 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. And so from what we get from verse 10 to 17 is really Paul explaining what a Christian life that is rooted in the word of God, that is focused on Jesus, looks like. And we get in verse 10, not a list of disorder, but a list of the fruits of the Spirit, or at least some of them. Some of those reminders of who we can become. And in verse 11 to 12, there is a reminder that actually sometimes to follow Jesus can mean persecution. You know, we've been remembering that today, haven't we? That actually to follow Jesus is not always the easy life. To be a disciple of Jesus can mean that we will face the ultimate price. And then down in verses 15 to 17, a topic that we've covered fairly recently about the Word of God. Um, If you want to to listen to what I had to um, say about that, go back on YouTube, 5th of March. um, You'll be able to find most of that. I don't want to cover that all again this morning. So what do we do with this passage? What on earth do we make of it? It's a bit of an interesting one. Well, when I was in that car driving down the wrong side of the dual carriageway, it's not an easy problem to solve, is it? You can't just veer across the central reservation and do a U-turn. You have to keep going until you get to the, um, the next place you can turn off. It's a bit of a blur as to what happened. I think I was so panic-stricken, I can't really remember. But from what I do remember, we carried on going and got to a set of lights and then did the most dangerous U-turn onto the other side of the carriageway. It's not always easy. 
You know, sometimes, I, th- I think as preachers, we, we fall into the trap of thinking, you know, if you just want to be a part two of this passage person, just flick a switch and it'll all happen. You know, God will do amazing things and you will suddenly find yourself heading in the right direction. Now, sometimes that does happen. You know, praise God that the Holy Spirit works miracles. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but sometimes in my life, the Holy Spirit works a miracle and I suddenly find a renewed sense of freedom. I suddenly find that I'm free from something that I used to struggle with. I suddenly find that my spiritual life has gone forward in leaps and bounds. But actually, I think what Paul is saying here to Timothy is that sometimes you just have to dig in. Sometimes you just have to persevere. Sometimes the road of discipleship is actually really quite tricky. The disordered love, the false teaching, sometimes it's easy to spot. Anyone can spot a car going down the wrong side of a dual carriageway. But can you spot what is going on in somebody else's heart? We can't always, can we? Can you spot what is going on in your own heart? Sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to just open our minds and our hearts. Now, we've not got a car that does this, but I think quite a lot of modern cars have this really fancy function on, that if you're driving down a road, and it's like a motorway or a dual carriageway, and you start to go out of one lane, it pulls you back in. Has anyone got a car that does that? Yeah, a few hands going up. Does it work? Yeah. Now, one of our cars, it's not that sophisticated, but if you're driving very fast towards a a wall, not that I would be doing that, or, or towards a car in front, it slams the brakes on and brings you to an emergency stop. Now, sometimes in our Christian life, we need that. We need the, the, the car to slam and for God to say, actually, you're going in the wrong direction. But quite often, it's subtle, isn't it, how we drift away from God? And we just need that bringing us back on track, enabling us to follow Jesus. There's a phrase that, that we sometimes use, and it's a good phrase, and it's about mental health, where we say, it's okay to not be okay. You've heard that phrase used? I know we've used it in church a number of times. But wouldn't it be good if as a church we had a culture where we could actually say to one another, it's okay to say spiritually I'm not okay. It's okay to say, can you pray with me because I'm drifting a bit. I'm drifting a bit. I'm not going to fall off a cliff. I'm not there. I don't need the emergency brake putting on, but I'm just drifting. Would you help? Would you pray with me that I might be brought back to where God wants me to be? So I've just got one question for you, really, this morning. One thing to think about. Do you actually want to fulfill this commandment? Do you want to fulfill this commandment? Do you want to be driving in the right direction, brought back to where God wants us to be? Because, you know, we can look at that and say, yeah, I'd I'd love to be more like that. I'd love to love God more. I'd love to love my neighbors more. But then actually, deep down within, we actually don't really want to change. I don't know if you ever find that. Sometimes we can find ourselves saying things, but then actually underneath, it's not really ticking. We can trick ourselves. We can trick each other. But actually, what is the point? What is the point? Unauthentic Christian living. I was thinking about this this week. If you want to live a Christian life that is all externals but no heart change, it is probably one of the most dullest ways of living. Anyone remember Hyacinth Bouquet? Do you remember how she lives her life? It's all pretense, pretending to be rich, pretending to have all this money. Yeah, actually, there's nothing going on behind it. 
Let's not be a church of high-synth bouquet Christians this morning. Let's not be a church full of people who are all pretense, but actually the heart change isn't happening. So today, I'm not going to say, you know, you flick a switch and this will suddenly happen. But perhaps this morning, perhaps all you need to do is come before the Lord and say, would you reorder my heart? Would you reorder it so that actually I can just get back on track? Would you give us an honesty and an openness with one another that actually means we can encourage one another to do that? So that we can pray for one another, support one another, challenge one another gently. I'm going to just pray for us in a moment, and then I'm just going to spring something. We've got the prayer team here this morning, haven't we? I'm conscious that we're going into a church meeting straight after um, our next couple of songs. So if during these next couple of songs, if you would like somebody just to pray with you, and you don't need to give details at all, if the prayer team could go over somewhere in that back corner, um, and then just please go and just have a, um, you know, let somebody pray with you. Just, yeah, Lord, would you reorder my heart? So can I invite the music team to come forward? I'm just going to pray for us, and if you would like somebody just quickly to pray with you, please do that. Shall we stand to pray? Let's stand. Lord Jesus, you call us to follow you with everything that we have. You have saved us, and you call us to a life of growth in holiness. But Lord, we acknowledge this morning that sometimes we can just drift off. Our hearts can become disordered. So I just want to pray, by your Spirit, would you keep us on track with you? Would you help us to root ourselves deeply in your word, deeply in your love? Would you give us that openness to be willing to pray with one another, to support one another. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen.